I just found uh, my recorder in the back seat of my car. <laughs> Hasn't been touched in uh, several months. But uh, as I'm uh, sitting here in my car right now for about the 15th minute, waiting for all the uh, ice to leave my windshield, I just started searching around for my car, just like uh, kind of cleaning it out and found this recorder and uh, thought I might, I don't know, turn it on. And uh, I was really stupid leaving it in here. This is like a $300 recorder. It seems to be working okay, although the um, screen is uh, kind of giving me some weird readouts, like the numbers are kind of blurring together and all that. I just... I need to take better care of my property. I don't know. I, I completely underestimated uh, the, the, the cold weather we were having yesterday. I mean, it was cold yesterday and uh, like everything shut down. Like, I, I didn't go to class, um, I, you know, I didn't uh, leave my house. Usually I leave my house, I go work, I go, like, deliver food, I go uh, to the university and teach a class. And uh, I work with students in the writing center. And uh, yesterday I didn't get to do any of that. We didn't have much precipitation It. uh... We had like about, I think somebody said 0.002 inches of snow, but most, most of it was ice and that's enough uh, to ground everything that we do here in the south, in the deep south. We just don't have the capabilities to deal with that kind of thing. And we learned our lesson a few years ago. Nobody really thought it was going to be a big deal and it ended up becoming what they called Snowmageddon, the biggest snowstorm we've had here in Birmingham, Alabama since uh, 1993. And people were trapped on the interstate in their cars. They were uh, migrating like vast caravans of refugees down Interstate 65. My dad was still working then. That was before he retired. And uh, he, he was stuck in uh, the, the, the building downtown where he worked at the time. Couldn't get home. So if that were a kind of storm that had happened uh, like in, in the north, northeast or midwest or someplace like that, uh, it would have been no big deal at all, like a complete non-event. Um, but... Uh, you know, here in the South, it's still something that we look back on and reflect on. And we, we take it very, very seriously. It's not like we're crying wolf um, every time there's a chance of ice or snow in the forecast. Like it's a very serious thing. And uh, the last time it got this cold, as cold as it was yesterday, we was uh, Christmas Eve uh, last year. And my wife and I... Like, we lost all of our utilities. Like, our pipes froze. Even though we ran the water, our pipes froze. 
because the uh, apartment didn't insulate the pipes at all. And so they froze and burst. And uh, we lost uh, the heat. We lost our furnace. Our furnace blew. And we lost power. And all of this on Christmas Eve. And it was miserable. And uh, we were fortunately able to get a hold of maintenance that day. And they, they came out. This is what, one of the reasons I enjoy living in an apartment still. Is <laughs> because, yeah, we just called maintenance. And they, they did come out. And, of course, they weren't able to get us running water or fix our power. Uh, but they did go to a vacant unit and uh, steal the furnace motor. And they brought that to us, and, and we were able to at least restore heat, which I, I think is, like, the most important utility. And, yeah, we were going to go over to, our, to, to my parents' house to, to spend Christmas Eve. Um, I can't remember why we didn't do that off the top of my head. You know, it's like there's all these things that are really, really important in the moment. And, uh, and, then, and then the power comes back to you. You're given back everything, and you just kind of resume to uh take it for granted again i guess but i mean yeah case in point yesterday um it was freezing cold outside and uh i didn't think to move my car um into the sun i, I parked it in the back here as i usually do um where where there's ample shade and uh, it works really good for hot days, but on a day where it's like five degrees outside like it was yesterday. Yeah, I came out this morning ready to uh, get on with my day. And <laughs> there was a glacier. Not like a thin coat of ice, but a glacier on top of my uh, windshield. And so, yeah, I've been sitting out here now for about 20, 25 minutes in my car. And uh, it looks like it's just about cleared. At first, I wasn't even able to uh, to run the windshield wipers. And, of course, being in the south, I don't have an ice scraper. I thought my wife did. Jessica used to uh, live um, in Chicago for a while, and then she lived in Wisconsin. So she's she, she is better equipped to handle some of this stuff and kind of smarter than I am in the ways of cold weather. And... Um, I thought she had an ice scraper, but it turned out she didn't. So she just said, just wait in your car for a while. It, it, it may seem hopeless right now, but it'll happen. And it looks like it has. Yeah, it's very clear. Clearing up now, I'm still not comfortable to uh, to drive. There's still a layer there. but <laughs> Right. I joked with Jessica, I said, like, I'm going to heat some hot water up on the stove. That that should do it. And she's like, don't do that. I'm like, oh, come on. Give me a little bit of credit. <laughs> Actually, had I not watched a bunch of YouTube videos where people make that mistake, you know, you're pouring hot water. I think I would have learned it anyway, though. Have you ever, like, been really thirsty and all of your dishes are in the dishwasher? And they've just finished, and you reach to get, you know, a, a glass out of the dishwasher, and then you fill it up with ice-cold water. Yeah. It breaks, right? Those of us who didn't really do well in science class 
in high school when it was all theoretical, right? Like we really, really suffer in the world. So, um, yeah. So what are we doing? It's like 11:30 right now. Okay, I think I'm about ready to go. So I've 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 got my tracking miles app on, and I'm gonna turn on uh, Grubhub. Go deliver food for lunchtime. I didn't work, obviously, as I said yesterday. Even though uh, these food delivery apps were really, really trying to get me to work, they kept on throwing bonuses at me and trying to get me out of my house into the bad weather. <laughs> I'm sure people did work yesterday. I mean, we, we saw, as we always do, I mean, they're, they're you know, you could have 18 inches of snow on the ground and uh, there's still going to be people driving in it. People are insane that way. Oh, gosh. It's loud. All right, I got a delivery here I'm going to accept from Pizza Hut. We're going to get on our way. So, yeah, I'm just out. Uh, this is like a, a typical day uh, in my life right now. I'm uh, going to wake up in the morning. Um, if it's not Tuesday or Thursday, if it's Tuesday and Thursday right now, I usually, uh, I'll get up and I'll, I'll go and I'll teach class. Um, but every other day of the week, I'm just, uh, on my own time. Uh, you know, the theory is, oh, now I've got a, an offer from Grubhub. From Shangri-La Chinese restaurant in Irondale. And I'm not going to take that. Yeah, I'll, I'll wake up and um, any other day of the week, theoretically, I'm just supposed to be working on my thesis the whole time. You know, this big project that you do at the end of your master's program where you have to, to write a big, long paper um, about a book or some kind of topic of interest. Um in English literature. And uh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I've got to defend this thing in a couple of months, um, really like two months from like right now is when this thing needs to be finished. And uh, something I've been working on for a very long time. Uh, but I also have to make money. So I supplement that in a variety of ways. I go out like right now I'm delivering food and what I've been doing lately is I've been uh, multi-apping, which they call in the in the side hustle, the gig economy community. They just call that running two or more apps at one time uh, to try and see which app is going to give you the best offer for your time. And uh, sometimes I don't do that because it's a little counterintuitive. It, um, it it sometimes will send you obviously in different directions for different orders. Like the order that I just had to reject from uh, Grubhub was trying to send me all the way across town to the uh, to the east when I need to go west to Pizza Hut, and uh, that's a pretty good uh, show title right there, west to Pizza Hut. And um, I think I'm going to use that. But, but sometimes it'll, it'll totally make sense to multi-app. Um, the other day I was able to uh, take an offer from Uber while also taking an offer from Grubhub. 
And uh, they sent me essentially to the same place to deliver in the same place as well. And Uber's pretty laid back with like how long you take to, to pick up an order. If any of you ever order from Uber Eats, just know this. Uber is like pretty laid back. They don't really, I haven't seen yet in like a year and a half of driving for them that they really care how long it takes for you to pick up an order or how long it takes or whatever route you take to drop off the order. They just care that you pick it up and you drop it off. Uh, whereas Grubhub is a lot more uh, st uh, stringent with, uh, with tracking you. Um, if you veer off course or if you take too long to get to an order to pick it up, um, they'll uh, give you a couple of warnings and then they'll uh, reassign it to somebody else. Uh, that's what happened a couple of days ago. Um, there was this glitch in the app where I had to go pick up an order from, uh, I don't know, whatever it was, Subway or Chipotle or something like that. And uh, they sent me to a residential neighborhood. And I was like, there's not a Chipotle around here. And it turns out the uh, the the uh, restaurant had labeled the address incorrectly. It was supposed to be a road instead of a lane. And uh, I called Grubhub to resolve this issue because I couldn't just go to the restaurant because then they would, like the app, because they have one address put in, they would sort of say that I'm not at the correct restaurant or I'm not at the correct address. So I had to call um the company to get it resolved and it took them about 10 minutes to resolve the issue and all the while I'm waiting on hold while they change the address and I'm just sitting there in front of this house that's supposed to be a Chipotle and finally they come back on and they say okay we've resolved the issue go ahead and proceed to the correct address to pick up the order and I start doing that and they reassign my order because they say I've been waiting too long. I, I haven't been advancing to the address because they had changed it. I don't know if this makes any sense, but it's just, it's incredibly annoying. So I had to call up customer service again and explain to them what happened. And of course I'm talking to a different representative and they just say, like I tell them, like, I, you know, I was online, you know, fixing this issue. You can look in your records and they say, well, we can't go back and change it so I lost all the money for the time that I had spent trying to resolve the issue and I said like oh man you guys are killing me like I mean we were on the phone we were fixing this issue for 10 minutes I helped y'all solve a problem and as a result you know you're taking all this money out of my pocket and they all the guy literally said was he just said sorry oh man I mean you know that's that's a huge problem dealing with these companies just these huge companies they just have no personality. They, they just uh, are completely focused on getting the food to the consumer rather than taking care of you as an employee. Because they know that, like, if you quit, whatever. I mean, it's like Walmart. You know, 15 or 20 people are going to be there to take your place. So that's just the reality you got to deal with sometimes. I don't plan on deal doing this forever, but right now, it, you know, it's keeping money in my pocket. As Wooderson said, right? It's money in my pocket. All right. All right, I'm stopping here at Pizza Hut to pick up an order. This is uh, Mike Booty, the Midnight Citizen, by the way, from the streets of Birmingham, Alabama. Good. To be, it's good to be back with you on this cold, 
day in January. Okay, so no more ice on the windshield. There's uh, some on the hood of the car still, but uh, generally everything's uh, going kind of well. I actually uh, have the uh, cabin temperature of my car right now at 68. <laughs> I get very toasty. Thought I was almost about to deliver food to a high school student uh, in high school. I think all the schools are back open today. They were closed yesterday as they were Tuesday. And we had like tornado weather last Friday. So the kids, I guess, had like a five-day weekend. So all the schools were closed on Friday. That's just the winter here in the south. So... Uh, I did not uh, deliver to a high school student just now. It looked like on the map that uh, I was being taken to Hoover High School. Uh, I have delivered uh, food to a student there um, before for lunch, but that was only once. I'm surprised it hasn't happened more, though. Um, you know, with, like, students and, you know, being allowed to carry cell phones in schools and uh, ordering food for lunch... Um, that, that was like a, a concern that uh, my school had when I was teaching high school, uh, that uh, the students would, uh, would be ordering food all the time or their parents would be ordering them food. And we would just have this constant stream of delivery drivers coming to uh, our school to give the kids their lunch. That, that never really happened. I did have a couple of times where like a student was sneakily trying to uh, do DoorDash. And we had to uh, say no to them. That was a, a policy that we had. Of course, I'm surprised that uh, kids now, pretty much across the board, um, are allowed to have their phones in school. Uh, again, like my school's policy was uh, only seniors could have them. And everybody else had to surrender them to the front desk in the morning. And it was a huge, as you can imagine, a huge distraction. These things are obviously made to distract students and uh, let them contact the outside world and um, all this stuff. And I, I still do not understand. It's like it's like the uh, AI. I, I don't understand the benefit that they have uh, to students at all. Um, yeah, like I graduated high school in 2001, and we certainly had cell phones. Not all of us had them, but, uh, you know, it was like seven years before the smartphone came out. So you couldn't really do anything at all on your cell phone except uh, call somebody and pretty much everybody that you knew besides your parents were in school with you. So it was never really a concern. Unless people just wanted to, like, uh, flex with their cell phones, like, um, you know, be like Zach Morris. <laughs> I remember in elementary school, really before cell phones, uh, people would sometimes bring, like, their cordless phone from home to kind of be like Zach Morris um, with that gigantic uh, Dynatac phone that he used to have on Saved by the Bell. So, but... 
Yeah, I was really surprised that day that I delivered food to that student in high school, that it was like, <laughs> he just, and he was obviously sneaking out to pick it up from me. Like, he came out of a side door and kind of snuck up to me, and and uh, I was really worried for a minute there that I was going to, like, campus security was going to catch me, I was going to get in trouble, like, they thought I was, like, bringing him drugs or something. Uh, that kid could have got me in some serious trouble. But uh, I think I could have just shown them the app and I would have been fine. Been like, no, he ordered food. I was bringing him Subway. Not a gram of cocaine. Or Molly or whatever the kids are doing these days. So, <laughs> so yeah, I uh, am in the middle of, uh, of multi-apping, as I said. I, I delivered a, an order from Uber, from Pizza Hut. After that, I went over to Nukes for Grubhub. And now I'm uh, back on Uber again. I'm driving across town to another Nukes and uh, Chipotle. So we're, uh, we're doing that right now. And yeah, surprisingly, Uber hasn't penalized me for taking so long to get there. Um, because I, I had to go kind of out of the way just now. But still, it makes sense because, again, like, you know, in the in one hour I will have completed, if everything goes well, if there's no delays or anything, uh, four pickups, I would have made about $40 or so. Um, yeah, I, I know that that's like chump change. Uh, and, and to me, it is, even though I don't have a lot of money. I mean, that's still chump change. I mean, what does $40 buy you these days? You know, it buys you like a quarter of an electric bill. Um, but... Uh, you know, it's like, you just got to do what you got to do when you're in my position. You know, I quit my job and I'm, uh, you know, finishing up graduate school and I, I don't know what I'm going to do after graduate school. So I'm just having to take like a ton of jobs just to keep myself afloat. And of course my wife works too. And, uh, we're just doing the best we can. I don't know. And uh, food delivery, I, I really uh, actually enjoyed it. Something that, like, uh, I, I enjoy just being in my car. And I've always tried to have jobs where I am driving or I'm by myself. Um, I can get some thinking done. Um, today, I'm kind of choosing to drive with, like, the radio off and, you know, no podcast, no music. Just so I can be in my own head because I've got to turn in. Uh, I've got a meeting with my thesis advisor tomorrow morning, and I've got to turn in some pages to him. And so after I drop off these two orders, I'm going to go probably to like a cigar bar or something like that, a cigar lounge, and just sit down and just like work on their Wi-Fi for a while and really try to um, get some pages turned out uh, for this meeting tomorrow. And I'm just trying to be in my own head and just kind of remember, like, think about that. And sometimes when I'm driving around listening to music or podcasts, it, it, it's really distracting. It, it just, um, when you sit down to write, you, you really want to be able to, like, just start writing. You don't want to just, like, sit there and just stew for a while. Um, and so what I find is best before you write is that you think about it for a while and it's good to be in your car just driving around having these thoughts bounce around your head and like warming yourself up so that when you sit down to write you're kind of ready to go 
And uh, that's what I'm hoping is going to happen right now. I probably shouldn't even be recording this podcast, but um, maybe this is helping me. I don't know. Right, right now, I just need to experiment and see what will help me. Because uh, I've been working on this project for the last six months. Um, and as it happens right now, I've got about two pages of 25 or 26 pages finished that I'm actually happy with. And, uh, like, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, and it's not. Um, but at the stage I'm in right now, I've done so much reading for this project and so much research and I've taken so many notes, just pages and pages and pages of notes across several different online documents. And by this point, I, I, I feel like I have it on the brain, but marshalling all of that information together and putting it in a logical order on the page is very difficult and that's why it takes so long and like at this point like this morning I sat down and I was able to uh, write a paragraph pretty quickly whereas like two weeks ago it would have like it took me roughly about three weeks it almost took me the entire Christmas break to just get the introduction to the thesis done and that's only like two pages and it it was just a, a huge struggle and it went through so many drafts and but in the process it's it wasn't a wasted process because like what happened was is that I discovered a lot of stuff there a lot of research I'd overlooked and things like that and and now it's um I don't know I I think it's coming together I, I think it is um this is something I've just been thinking about for so long and I think it's finally coming together and now, I say this, but at the same time, I, I do have a meeting with my thesis advisor tomorrow, and almost every time I've, I've met with him in the past few months, I've come away feeling a little bit defeated and uh, like I'm not doing something correctly. And, uh, you know, just because he'll throw a bunch of research at me that I hadn't considered, you know, different points of view, ways of thinking of things. And what I'm really hoping is that uh, I'm I'm doing so well in this right now that like that won't happen tomorrow. But I don't know. But he does. He keeps on reminding me. It's like just like you're the expert on this. I'm not. I'm just here to guide you. You know what's best for it. So I'm just trying to keep that in mind. So. All right, so what am I doing? I'm on my way to Nukes, and then I'm going to Chipotle, and I think it's the right address for Chipotle this time. It won't take me to a neighborhood. And then I will uh, proceed from there to go do some writing. Then I've got a student I'm working with tonight, tutoring. Student out in San Francisco, California. I'm not flying to San Francisco. I'm working with them on Zoom. I had a student last week that I worked with who is from New York. So, yeah, I mean, we're just, you know, we're, we're doing it. We're just doing it however we can, however we can do it, right?
Okay, so I just dropped off my last lunchtime order, and now I'm on my way to work on my thesis. So I'm going to stop off and get a cup of coffee really quick at Dunkin', I think. My last order I just dropped off at this building that I uh, had the strangest feeling of deja vu walking into it. And I very quickly realized that I had been in that building before. It's this uh, building off of Oxmoor Road over here in uh, Homewood in one of these gigantic office parks like Cumulus Media and all that and uh, just this industrial section of town. I, I walked into it and yeah, I realized I've been into this building before uh, and it must have been at least 15 to 20 years ago. Strangest thing when you just uh, go places in your life for like a day or a day, uh, you know, two days and then they just get kind of completely swept into the back of your memory. But those places always, they, they, they still exist. I guess they could be torn down, but um, most, most places you go in your life kind of still exist for you to uh, go to and explore. Yeah, I walked into this building and I, 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 I talked to the receptionist about this. Uh, I, I was delivering somebody's food and I had to wait for them to come down in the elevator to meet me. And while I was there, I said to the... Uh, lady behind the front desk yeah I, I think i've been here before um and i i said to her uh so this is rehabilitation services and she said yeah you probably came here in high school or college and uh yeah like sure enough so this it was like vocational rehabilitation services voc rehab and uh i did this whole program in high school in order to get scholarship money for college um, I came to this building uh, once every semester when I was like a freshman and sophomore in college. This would have been uh, 2001, 2002. And they would give me a check. And I would go cash that check and use it on books and um, pay some of my tuition off. I think I got half tuition paid for or something like that. And in exchange, I had to do this like uh, program where I would come and they would sort of teach me, um, you know, like kind of give me some lessons in like how to write essays and things like that. I remember it being enormously, enormously helpful. I didn't really understand why I was doing it at the time, like why all my other friends were kind of getting to do like fun things during the summer. And I had to go to this like two week intensive essay writing class, but as I found out, it was like this exchange for, uh, you know, paying for like half of my college. And uh, I don't know if they do that anymore, but it's weird because uh, recently, about three months ago, I was tutoring a student, uh, a college student here in town. And um, he just needed like some extra work, some extra help, I mean. Um, with uh, kind of getting notes taken in class and uh, just getting uh, a tutor who could work with him more intensely. I could only work with him uh, one day a week and he really needs somebody who could work with him more than that. And uh, I recommended to the parents, yeah, Voc Rehab. I was like, they, I don't know what they're like now, but 20 years ago, they really helped me in college and, um, you know, just helped me access some of the disability services that uh, 
I needed or I thought I needed at first, like, um, you know, the note taking, they could uh, hire somebody and, you know, to come into your class and take notes for you. Or, I mean, it would be like another student who would sit in there and they would take notes and they would get paid for taking notes. And, uh, and then they turn in those notes to Voc Rehab and Voc Rehab gives them over to you, like completely as a confidential uh, transaction. And uh, my first semester in college, I, I, I used this service and then I quickly found out that I was taking much better notes than the people that were being hired and paid to take notes for me. Uh, so, uh, I ended up just using my own notes and then the next semester I signed up with Voc Rehab to take notes for somebody else. So, <laughs> I, I never, uh, in high school, I, in, in middle school, I went through the whole special education program and I always felt like an outsider in it and I felt like an outsider in normal classes also. <laughs> I don't know. I was just somewhere in the middle. I, I think it's because I was just um, so in my own head all day long, like especially in high school, I was just like off writing. And I, I think a lot of people are like that in high school. They just don't know where exactly they fit in. They're just kind of a, a click. But even those people form cliques of outsiders and the marginalized. And I don't even really think I was a part of a clique of of losers. Um, I was just kind of in my own world and I had some friends and, uh, you know, pretty, pretty good friends by the end of high school, but college came and I just stopped talking to all of them. So I, or they stopped talking to me too. I mean, we just went our own separate ways. It wasn't like uh, sinister or anything, but, uh, in high school, one of the things that really did, I, I feel like hold me back from being a part of that crowd was, uh, was being in special ed and it that really does stick with you quite a bit as a stigma um in middle school i remember going on field trips and i would have to ride in the short bus and um it, it was uh once you, once the kids see you boarding the short bus uh th there's really no going back that's that's a really really tough stink to uh, wash off and i don't mean to denigrate, obviously, people who are in special education. Like, I was boarding the short bus uh, next to the kid who was getting on it with a wheelchair. Um, I mean, and he was, other than being in a wheelchair, he was a perfectly capable student. He was only in special education because of his physical disability. But the kids wondered about me because uh, on the outside, I looked okay. Um, I may have been a little small for my age, but I had, like, two arms and two legs and a nose and all that I, I look perfectly fine um and they just i think they were just wondering what's wrong with me <laughs> and i sometimes wondered the same thing uh it, it, it turned out that what happened was is that i was uh, diagnosed with a uh, tourette syndrome and um Tourette's syndrome is kind of like the tip of an, uh, a tip of a very large iceberg. It's got a lot of other symptoms that go along with that. Um, you know, the hot one of today, the, the one that every kid has is uh, ADHD. I think just every kid now has that. <laughs> and uh, 
Uh, Tourette's syndrome also, you know, gives you obsessive compulsive disorder and all that stuff. So I was diagnosed with this because my dad had it and um, both of my sisters, I think, were showing signs of it. So I was I was diagnosed with it. And uh, I guess in class it was very easy for me to get distracted and all that. Hang on just a second. I'm ordering coffee. Hey, can I get a medium dark roast, please? A medium dark roast? Yes, please. Black? Uh, black, yes, ma'am. Anything else for you today? That's all. All right, thanks. I asked for a medium, and they gave me a large. Oh, and they charged me for a medium. That's nice. Maybe they were in a good mood. So, yeah, it was something like in kindergarten or first grade, I got diagnosed with uh, Tourette's syndrome. And I know that the, there's like a, the movie version of Tourette's syndrome, uh, kind of like the movie version of autism made famous in the film Rain Man with Dustin Hoffman, is uh, more often than not a far cry uh, from the truth of what it really is, I think. And... Uh, and I, I have seen people with really, really bad Tourette's. These are the people who are kind of shaking. And sometimes, like, in its worst form, it can resemble schizophrenia. But, yeah, like, in movies, when somebody says they have Tourette's, it's often like they just curse uncontrollably and all that stuff. And, yeah, there, there are, like, involuntary verbal spasms and uh, tics that come along with Tourette's. Um, and... Mainly, though, like if you spend any time with my dad, you'll see a lot of uh, neck twitching. And I, I don't know what it is. It's it's again, I think it's like this. Uh, it's adjacent to ADHD or uh, OCD where you just have to make something right. And you're constantly trying to correct things. And um, that's kind of what to me twitching has always been. And and. When I was uh, in high school, I would definitely have a lot of twitches and, you know, just through like a lot of self-therapy because I was just so tired of being ridiculed all the time. I would teach myself to hold that in. And a few years ago, I had a student that I worked with um, who also had Tourette's and uh, just you could tell sometimes he was just really trying to like just control like a rocket. Um you know, from going off all the time. He was just having the hardest time. So, but yeah. And, uh, other than that, I mean, I was, I was like an okay student. I was pretty good as long as I applied myself to like academics and, uh, um, and all that. I was just really bad at math and science. I wasn't good at that. Um, just because I, I think it just didn't interest me. I, 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 turn my attention to things that really got me like history and and English and uh, reading and writing and all that stuff but uh, the school you know again because it was like a public school it just like they kind of classified me and they put me into special <laughs> special education class and I had to go like full hog on it and uh, they, they would you know take me into the pullout classes and um other kids were like getting 
other electives and getting out to go out and play football and things like that. And I had to stay inside and in, in a study hall class, you know, they gave me an extra study hall where a lot of times it wasn't even, it was just kind of like keeping, I guess the problem kids out of the general population. That's really what it was because of the teacher sitting there and didn't do anything. So, and uh, it was, it was tough. It really was. But uh, then again, you know, I, I did this like vocational rehab thing when I was a junior senior in high school and um, they gave me money to, uh, you know, go to college. And like I said, I would go for the first couple of years of college. I would go to that office that I was just in and uh, pick up a check. And I don't know why I never like took it to the movies or something like that, but I, I guess it was very responsible with it. Or maybe like my parents just let me know that they would beat the hell out of me <laughs> if I. They would never do that, but uh, yeah. But I, I did, and uh, and it got me all the way through college too. Even when I transferred down to the University of Alabama, um, I continued. I went to a different office that was actually on campus and picked up a check from there. So. And uh, yeah, there were some hoops you had to jump through. Like you had to go to, I don't know, the writing lab or the math lab a certain hour, a number of hours throughout the semester. You kind of had to prove that you were doing all this stuff to stay on top of your studies. And I think primarily it was just like staying above a certain grade point average. So anyway, yeah, going, going into that building just now was the weirdest thing. I, I haven't thought about it in years. And then I just walked into it and it was like, whew. go in here now and work on this find some parking first okay I'm back in the car now and I've got the heat turned up on high again seat warmer on high it's a cold night here in Birmingham Alabama and yeah, I just uh, got finished uh, working for a few hours on my thesis. Very slow going. I only got about two paragraphs done. Um, yeah, it's just a process. I, I went ahead and uh, I hated to do it, and I rarely do it, but I actually canceled my tutoring appointment. I just didn't feel like I was in a good position. Uh to take a break for an hour and uh, and work with the student. And uh, yeah, again, I, I hate doing that. I sent them an email and just was fully apologetic and I just told them what the circumstances were. They know I'm in grad school right now and they know I've got uh, this thesis due. And I just told them I'm meeting with my advisor in the morning and uh, can I reschedule for tomorrow night? Just waiting to hear back, so. It's about six o'clock right now. And uh, yeah, I just heard back. They'll reschedule for next Wednesday. Okay, that's good. It's probably the best time of the year to do it. It's, uh, you know, the, the, the beginning of the school year. So it's not like they have a lot to work on right now, I guess. I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know, am I being a bad tutor? I am going to go out um, and drive for about an hour or so, maybe just earn some money, 
to make up for the money I'm losing. I know that doesn't make sense. Like, why don't I just tutor and earn money that way and not have to go out and drive? But a um, couple of different reasons there. One, I would have to go all the way home um, to have my session. Can't really have a Zoom session with a student while I'm sitting in a smoky cigar lounge. And uh, also, it just uh, won't give me time to just, again, sit in the car, drive around for a little while, clear my head. One of the reasons this uh, thesis is so slow going is like there's just this, uh, and you know this if you've ever done writing or research um, or academic writing of any kind, there's just this psychological uh, break you have to get through. Um, to actually sit down and just really do the work. And sitting down and doing the work isn't necessarily a problem. It's just like I can only work on this for about in two hours at a time or so, um, which involves a lot of thinking and looking back and seeing what you've written, looking back at research, trying to just uh, marshal all of the elements into one place. And um, it's just a very arduous, drawn-out process. I'm going to get another cup of coffee here. And it's this Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I swear they put crack in it. And I'm not pro-crack, but I'm pro-crack in my coffee. And... So, yeah, I'm just sitting here waiting for a call, waiting for an order, and just thinking. I'm, uh, I'm writing my thesis about Cormac McCarthy's book, Sutri. I don't want to go into it all and what it entails right now, but uh, this is a book I really like. It takes place in Knoxville, Tennessee in the 1950s, and uh, I've always been, I guess because I'm from the region, always been real into southern fiction and uh, I guess that's a little bit of a stereotype you know to be seeking your graduate degree in English literature and writing about something, some literary text like uh, Cormac McCarthy's Sutri but I just, I really uh I can't help it. I just really enjoy the book. When you uh, choose a thesis subject to write on, you have to be really into the book because you're going to spend like a year, year and a half with it. And uh, I've yet to get tired of this book. I just really enjoy it. I'm on my third time through reading it. I first read it uh, during, was it the COVID summer? It may have been the summer before COVID. And uh, I read it and uh, just really was drawn to it, just the characters in it. Uh, it's about a guy named Sutri who forsakes his middle class uh, upbringing and uh, job security and all that to uh, go and live among the derelicts and the outcasts along the Tennessee River. And um, I don't know, I, I just, uh, I'm not saying I, I totally relate 
to the book. Um, I don't know. In a way, I kind of do, though. In, in a way, I do. It's uh, just a wholly honest book about what it's like to uh, give up something that you're meant for and, uh, and just live some kind of an authentic, honest existence. And uh, I think that's kind of what I've always been about. That's why I'm 41 years old and I'm driving for Grubhub right now. I don't know. I think a lot of uh, people my age and older are driving, doing these gig economy jobs. I think I read something recently that like 40% of Americans right now are, are, are either fully or partly invested in the gig economy. Whatever that means. If that means that they just order DoorDash or if they drive for DoorDash. I don't know. but Yeah, it brings a lot of freedom. There's a lot of pitfalls in it, um, but uh, I, I started it when I was uh, teaching, when I still had a full-time job. I didn't really need the money, I guess. I just did it because it was something that I had enjoyed doing. It gave me some extra money to put into savings at the end of the day, and, and now I have to do it uh, to supplement my graduate school stipend, but... Yeah. But yeah, as I said, I'll be I'll be done with all of this um, in a couple of months. And then after that, who knows? I think I'm pretty well secured in a job um, teaching as adjunct faculty at the university in the fall. Knock on wood, but I think like they they always need instructors. So I think I'll be able to do that. Um. And I've got some other jobs in the works, but I could always go back to teaching high school, but I just don't, I don't feel like I want to do that anymore. I, I did that already. That was a uh, enjoyable job, but I never saw myself retiring in my 60s from teaching high school. Um... I just, it's, it's too much, um, administration for me. I think it's, uh, when you go in and you teach high school, you're, you're kind of, it's like groundhog day every year. It honestly is like you, you go in and kind of teach the first year and it's really difficult and trying. And then you go in the next year and you just kind of like teach the lesson plans that you had the year before. And uh, when I was doing it, I just never could get into that rhythm. Um, every year got a little bit easier than the previous one, yeah. But um, I also just didn't like that idea of just being so routine. And I always mixed it up and threw in, you know, new 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 things and tried to make it interesting for my students and. It was a lot of fun, but it was also just diminishing returns. It was almost like the harder I worked, the less rewarding it got. And um, not that I'm always seeking reward, but, you know, there was just a lot of administration involved and, and things that just really made you detest the job. Um, dealing with parents, for instance, just being at home at eight o'clock 
relaxing, watching television, reading a book, unwinding with uh, a drink, and just checking your email on a whim and getting like a, a big long message from a parent um, just berating you for not doing a good job with their with their kid and uh, completely going against the narrative that you feel like is going on really you know, the kids go home at the end of the day and they just have a completely different view and context of what happened that only happened a couple of times but still it was like enough <laughs> and one of the things I love about teaching college is that it's just like teaching uh, distilled down to its purest form. You just go in, you teach your lesson, and then you leave and you grade papers. You don't have to deal with parents. You're legally barred from that. And uh, I enjoy that. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I would like to continue teaching. I, I just think I want to stay in college if I, if I can. And yeah, there's not really any future in adjunct teaching. You don't get health insurance. The pay is pretty bad. And um, so really what I'm hoping for is like I've got two options. I can go ahead and get my Ph.D. if I wanted to. I could actually be a, pool, a full uh, professor of English or an associate professor somewhere in America or abroad. I don't know. Um, I could be a, you know, a, a doctor of English literature. That would be nice. It would take another five years. And uh, the only PhD program in my proximity is way down at the University of Alabama at T Tuscaloosa. That's where I uh, graduated from. I got my bachelor's there in 2006. And uh, I swore when I left there I would never have to go back unless I absolutely had to. <laughs> I went back there uh, once a few years after graduation when um, my mom, um, as a high school teacher, she, rece she received an award at uh, the university's commencement um, as being like an outstanding teacher in the state of Alabama. But yeah, after other than that, I have not been back to Tuscaloosa. It's, it was just a very boring place to be and uh, just not very exciting. And... <laughs> So, yeah, if I wanted a Ph.D., I'd have to go down to the University of Alabama. I, I would have to commute down there probably at least three days a week because I would also have to be teaching there as I was completing my Ph.D. work. And that would be five years. And, but, you know, as my mom said, uh, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be 46 anyway. I might as well be 46 with a Ph.D. So. So I could do that. I could I could obviously apply to a PhD program somewhere else, um, and uh, which would mean Jessica and I would have to move. Uh, or I could stay in Birmingham and just uh, try my best at actually getting a full time faculty position, um, either at the university where I'm currently at or someplace else. Um, I could move somewhere. And, and that's not unheard of. Uh, I've got a mentor teacher right now at the university who has his master's in English just like me, and he's a full-time full um, faculty there. Um, and he teaches classes in English literature as well as composition. So, so I don't know. Well, I'm just going to have to see how it goes. I, I've always liked this 
position of just uh, being up in the air, not really knowing what's going to happen next. And uh, Jessica is like fully supporting me in this. Just as I support her in what she does. Which is uh, acting and working in the theater. And there's obviously not always jobs there, especially in Birmingham. But she does it pretty consistently. And, um, and I've supported her in that in the uh, 13 years we've been together now. So, yeah. But for now, though, that, that's, that's two months down the line. That's three months down the line whenever. I've, right now, I'm just trying to focus on the next sentence of my thesis. And uh, that's where I got held up. As, uh, I was working, and it was going really well for a while, and then I just got this psychological block where I just literally couldn't write anything anymore. I had to take a break. And uh, that's what I'm doing right now. I just got an order a few minutes ago, but I turned it down because it was taking me in the other direction. Um, one thing I like about delivering food is that you can get paid to go home, I guess. So right now I'm way down 280. And I'm trying to get an order that's going to take me back downtown where I live. And uh, get paid a little bit of money for going home tonight. So, still got to go by the store. Got to pick up some milk and dog food and all that. But one of the things that that was holding me up in the uh, cigar lounge where I just was, and this is a very common problem whenever I try to get some work done there, is I just get held up by like the conversations people are having around me. It can get very loud. And that's not necessarily something that always bothers me, but um, it bothers me when I just when when I, I just get conversations. I, I think people shouldn't be having in public that they that they're having anyway. Um, you know, one reason that I don't I don't go to one of the cigar bars here in Birmingham uh, during the week especially after three o'clock is that there's this uh, conspiracy circle. They like to sit, sit around and uh, talk about how like the mafia controls football and, you know, Biden, 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 Trump, 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 and things like that. Just these people, they're just so incredibly obsessed with things that they have like no control over, I guess, other than to vote every once in a while. Um, and that, that, that bothers me right there. It's like, you know, when you go into like a cigar bar, it should be a place of like relaxation and zen. And uh, most of the time it is. Most of the time it is. But they just kind of make it not, not that way. So I've really actively avoided going to that bar usually during the weekdays, like after three. Before three, you're usually okay. But they start filtering in and they just spend the entire night in there. And there's a back room there that I can go in and I can work and uh, not be bothered by that conversation. But um, today uh, it was taken up by somebody. So I didn't want to take there was none of the conspiracy guys were in there, but I didn't want to take my chances of them coming in later and working in the main room. So I I came down 280 to the other cigar bar where there's like a, a room there that's usually reserved for people who just need to work and and i went in there and yeah there were like three other guys in there working and everything was okay and but then they all started taking calls like at the same time 
like they were on zoom calls and conference calls and, and, uh, they weren't just like everyday conversations. Like there was one guy in there who was like berating over the phone, this person who worked for him, telling them that, you know, they need to get it together and be more serious about what they do or they're going to cut them loose. And there's another guy I interviewed who could easily take you to place and all that. I was like surprised. It was like, you know, I'm in here. Like, why are you having this hard conversation with somebody you work for? with somebody else in the room like this isn't very professional like he was talking about professionalism and the importance of it and meanwhile this is not very professional you shouldn't be berating somebody else who works for you in front of other people but and then there was this other guy in there who was on a zoom call and he was going on a rant with whoever he was talking to about how he's never given the right information and nobody even ever keeps him in the loop and he's doing the best he can, but he's working in a vacuum and all this stuff. And he got off that zoom call and then he proceeded to call three more people to rant to them about what had just transpired. And I, again, I'm just sitting there trying to analyze Cormac McCarthy's Sutry and write about it. And I'm just hearing about all these people and their, their work issues. Yeah, that's just a pitfall of, of being in a public place and trying to get work done. It's tough. but And I, and I know I can, I can just do this at home. And uh, I've got a really nice area at home, like a nice home office. For Christmas, Jessica got me a brand new desk and a bookshelf. I think because she was just tired of hearing me gripe about, like, how cluttered it gets in my office all the time and yeah i can easily do work at the house but it just it gets tough because and this was the same problem i fell into with the uh, pandemic uh is that when you're working at home you're still at home and there's all these chores that you just are hanging over your head you know dishes need to be done laundry needs to be done dogs that are constantly kind of like scratching at the office door wanting to be let in and then they want to be let out and uh, sometimes it could just get chaotic and, and I can't get any work done so I have to go somewhere else I'm going to have to do some work at home tonight usually like when I'm under a deadline and under pressure like I am tonight I usually work really well at home but so I'm going to go there in a few minutes <laughs> yeah All right, what's going on here? Where are my orders? Come on, give me something. I don't know. Yeah, well, in this uh, first podcast of 2024, in a few minutes... I did want to talk uh, really quickly, though. Uh, yeah, yesterday was a, a snow day, even though we only had like 0. .002 inches of snow. Um, we were sheltering in place yesterday. And uh, I was uh, you know, getting around to doing work. All right, I got, just got an order for rock and roll sushi like two miles away, so I'm going to head over there now.
But uh, yeah, Jessica and I, we were we were just at home all day yesterday, and uh, we decided to uh, try out uh, this show, uh, The Curse, on uh, Showtime, um, which I I don't know anything about, and I always think that's the best way to kind of go into something, um, entertainment-wise, is just to not know anything about it. Uh, the only stipulation is is that usually we'll look up. I'm generally okay with it, but like Jessica likes to look up the website. Does the dog die? She likes to see if any dogs die on the show or cats or whatever. Um, we didn't do that with this one though. We, we just went in completely not knowing anything about it. Uh, I, I only knew the cast and the creators. It was uh, Nathan Felder, uh, Emma Stone, and uh, Benny Safdie, and uh, who. Benny Safdie did that movie Uncut Gems with uh, with Adam Sandler, which I really liked. And uh, yeah, the the curse is the show that just came on. I think it just finished uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, about this couple, it's like a kind of a satire of all those HGTV home renovation shows. Nathan Felder and Emma Stone play like this couple who are trying to get this HGTV show off the ground. Um, called Fliplanthropy, <laughs> where they um, take these, uh, they, they buy these homes at auction um, in this kind of disenfranchised community in New Mexico. Um, and they tear them down and they build in their place these like uh, energy efficient eco homes that are <laughs> completely mirrored on the outside. Um, and they keep saying oh your home is like a thermos and that's like a running joke in the shows that nobody likes that idea of just they're comparing their homes to like a thermos <laughs> so and um yeah so uh the whole idea of the curse is that uh early in the show like nathan felder goes and gives a hundred dollars to this girl on camera just for b-roll just to show that he's like a nice guy to poor people in the community. This little girl is out in the uh, parking lot, like selling sodas. And he goes up and buys six of them for like a hundred dollars. And then when the cameras cut, he realizes he doesn't have any money left. So he goes back and tries to get the hundred dollars from the girl who refuses and gets angry with him. And I've heard it compared a lot to curb your enthusiasm. You know, the, the way that like, Larry David is always having awkward interactions with people on that show. He, he means well, but they never take it that way. And so the girl gets really mad and she curses him. She says, I curse you. He's like, what? And so for the rest of the show, uh, bad things happen to them. And, and he's constantly trying to figure out, is this a result of the curse or is it just because I'm a bad person? Right. So it's a pretty interesting premise for a show in the way that it likes to pick apart uh, white anxiety. And uh, it, it targets what I think is like a really good or a really um, interesting malady of the modern age, especially if you're white and privileged. Um, this idea that you can never enjoy yourself because you always like recognize that there are people who are less privileged than you suffering. And uh, these two characters on the show, Nathan Felder and Emma Stone, um, are just pathologically altruistic. 
they uh, are continuously putting themselves in bad personal situations uh, to uplift the people around them. And uh, it obviously puts a strain on their marriage and it puts a strain on the show that they're trying to create together. Um, and yeah, they, they just can't be happy. They're incapable of just enjoying themselves in life. And I think this is, uh, that's pretty on target with the way I think a lot of people feel um, lately. Just this, this anxiety of privilege that we all have that we should definitely recognize but also not let it completely control and destroy our lives but there's a good point where a good moment where uh a shop that they own that sells jeans keeps getting people keep shoplifting from it and uh the security guard calls the cops and emma stone comes up and says we don't have to press charges we're not going to deal with this anymore just anytime anybody shoplifts charge it to my credit card <laughs> and so of course word gets out and everybody starts shoplifting from the store thinking that it's some kind of a promotion they just go in and grab stuff off the shelves and she gets charged for it to like the tune of fourteen thousand dollars and it just this this simple act of you know recognizing like that crime comes from some kind of a place of personal trauma um you know, it just ends up destroying them financially. And, uh, yeah, and that, I mean, that's obviously, like, a comment on what's going on in places like San Francisco right now and New York City, where shoplifters are just not prosecuted anymore. People can just come in and literally take what they want and leave. You know, <laughs> I know this is what, like, those conspiracy guys talk about at the cigar bar, but, right? But it's true. It's in the news. It's happened, right? So... But, you know, the, the, the show makes an interesting point um, of uh, that no matter uh, how we might want to stereotype people or how we might want to look at people, we always have to recognize that the feelings that they have, that they're going through, are, are valid. And, uh, and we shouldn't discount that. And uh, I think a good illustration of this is there's this uh, artist... Um, that they're trying to work with. They, they bought a lot of art from her. She's like a Native American artist. Since the show's in New Mexico, there's a lot of discussion about the um, uneasy uh, prospect of gentrification. Um, these rich white people coming in and uh, appropriating these downtrodden neighborhoods that um, are on tribal land. And there's a Native American artist that uh, they, they buy a lot of art from who they're trying to get to sign a waiver to include her art on the show because if she shows that she has buy-in, that she approves of what they're doing by allowing them to display her art on their HGTV show, um, then it'll show that they have by extension, the tribe's permission to gentrify the area. And the artist is uh, very reluctant to do this and is continuously evading them and, and also kind of mocking them um, in passive-aggressive ways. 
And it is easy, like, watching the show to kind of, like, hate the artist. Just, like, tell them what your opinion is rather than just, like, evading them and just giving them half answers and being passive-aggressive to them. And there's a scene where they go to her art show and she has this, like, very pretentious, like, performance art piece where she... Uh, people sit in a teepee with her and the artist cuts turkey on a deli slicer and then gives it to the people to eat and when they eat it she screams and she's like why did you do that and they're like oh was I not supposed to eat the turkey and they're very confused by what the message of the art piece is and you as the viewer are kind of sitting here watching this being like oh this is just pretentious performance art but then a few episodes later, the artist explains like what her intention with it was. And it's like, as an indigenous person, you're constantly giving pieces of yourself to people who are appropriating you. And, uh, they, and, and those people make the decision whether or not to value you as an individual or just like a, a member of this group that you want the approval of. And like, yeah, like while you sort of laugh at and mock the performance art piece you also recognize that oh that comes from a very genuine place it's like a lot of modern art we kind of look at and we laugh at but we have to recognize also that it, it's genuine to the artist so we should validate it in some way rather than just mocking it and, and all that alright I'm at rock and roll sushi I'm gonna get this order and then head over to this person's place looks like they're in a hotel Okay, so just dropped off that order. Very easy delivery. Rock and roll sushi to like a hotel across the street. So. But yeah, The, the Curse is a good show. Um, I'd highly recommend it. It's uh, very dark and uh, deals very intimately with, uh, with marriage and... Uh, Something I can definitely relate to. And, uh, and fortunately, uh, like for me and Jessica, we were kind of watching the show from the outside in. We weren't really, I don't think we go through the same problems they have on the show. But uh, it, it does deal with like a lot of, uh, you know, like power dynamics and relationships. Um, the way that, uh, you know, the couple is constantly struggling with like their own individual identities while trying to make their own path forward as a unit. And, you know, on the show, the, the couple, uh, I think they're called, what are their names? I just watched the whole show. It's like Wendy and, uh, Asher. Yeah. Wendy and Asher. Uh, there are these two people who are just 100%. They're like this, this unit, you know, they're creating the show together and she's giving up her faith to, she's a, a Gentile. She's converting to Judaism for her, for him. And uh, yeah, they're, they're creating the show together, but at the same time, they, they both have like this struggle with uh, identifying their own and, and sticking to their own like individuality. And, and that, that's a big source of tension in the show. And um, 
it, it gets to the point where uh, they, they begin to sort of think about the show as just being hers. And uh, they, they change the name from Flipplanthropy to The Green Queen. Um, and yeah, it just deals a lot with like the, the male insecurity in a relationship where I guess the, the, the woman, the wife is like the primary breadwinner. And they deal with this the entire way through the show. And the final episode, which I was reading about this morning, people just seem to hate it the way the show concludes. But to me, it makes total sense. I, I won't spoil it, obviously, because the show is so new. And uh, if it wasn't for the snow day yesterday, I wouldn't have seen it. Right? But they... Um, the show, uh, the, the final episode manifests this feeling of insecurity in a relationship in a way that's very surprising and surreal and uh, more in the neighborhood of like Lynchian or like, you know, in the same way that Magnolia, you know, that Paul Thomas Anderson movie. If you haven't seen that yet, I'm not going to spoil the ending for you, even though it's been 20 years more, though, 25 years. Well, <laughs> came out in 99. Uh, yeah, the ending of Magnolia is surprising in the same way, but it also makes sense for what they've been talking about the entire show. And yeah, like, I mean, you know, critics of the show are just saying like, oh, the ending completely betrays the message of the show. It leaves all these subplots dangling. And I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I was much softer on it. I don't think much softer. I just think it made sense to me as I was watching it. And, uh, and, you know, Jessica and I, who were completely mute through the ending, we, we weren't pausing it or sharing our opinions with each other. We just kind of like, after it ended, we, we let it marinate and then we started talking about it. We're, we were still talking about it this morning. So, yeah, it was a very surprising ending. And, uh, you know, with this show, The Curse, right? Anything else I want to talk about with that show? There's a lot I want to talk about. I don't know if I've, I've let it completely digest yet. <laughs> right? But, um, yeah, it's on Showtime. I think that's how we watched it. And, uh, yeah, check it out. The Curse. <laughs> All right. I think I'm going home now because I got to, like, I, 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 gotta, I got a lot of work to do tonight. And uh, try to edit the show and uh, edit all the sound together and maybe get it out tomorrow or something so you can listen to it I really want to continue to uh, to do the show in the new year um, I'm coming up on a pretty big milestone in my life and I, I want that documented it makes me so happy even though I haven't been consistent at all with this podcast over the years I can I can go back and I can look at the various areas of my life with this show and uh and you can too with the archive you can go on the midnight citizen show it's in the back issues or check it out on the overnight scape central on sug onsug.com you can check it out there if you wish but yeah i can go back as far as 2011 and hear where i was when i was finishing my first masters as an educator and then all the st all the jobs, all the stuff that followed my uh, my time working at Red Mountain Park, 
as a zipline guide and then as an education director and then my time working as a, as a high school English teacher. Yeah, it's all there. So, so I, I want to continue to do shows, even though they may be stripped down in the car like this. Um, but I do want to have some kind of like an audio document of where I am right now. So, yeah, until next time, which should hopefully be very soon. Keep your eyes open.